0: Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 32.
1: Welcome to the Secrets to Real Estate Investing podcast by House Flipmasters, where you will learn powerful strategies from top experts in real estate investing, and you will find valuable information to take your investments to the next level. Now, here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann.
0: Hello there and welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing by House Flip Masters. We have a gentleman with us today that has escaped the rat race. And I love stories like this, and I'm really excited for him to share his journey doing that with you. His name is Mark Walker, and he's the founder of Luxfana Investments which focuses on residential and multifamily investments. Mark was able to go from being a part-time investor with a full-time job in high-tech to someone who quit his corporate job in pursuit of his passion and now thrives as a multifamily investor. So with that, welcome to the show, Mark.
1: Thank you so much, Holly. I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, I'm so glad you're here. So why don't you give us a little bit of your backstory and where you started and how you got to where you are today let's start
1: sure well my journey began back in 2004 i bought my very first rental property it was a duplex in south denver and i owned that for about a about a year or two and that deal really got me excited because in the first year that property earned me a 36 and percent cash on cash return Woohoo! Yeah. i love it So it always lights a fire under you when your very first deal is so successful like that. Well, after I, so I ended up selling that property and for a few years after that, actually I sat out. And one of the main reasons why I sat out was because I was having a really hard time getting deals to pencil. And I'll also say too, that if I had known back then what I know now, I might not have sat out those five years because you know, I now believe that as long as you know where to look and, And everything, there's always a deal around every single corner. But I I did sit out for the next few years, and okay, that turned out to be a blessing in disguise as well, because then the market took its tank. So it was in about 2010 that I started to network again and get 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 involved in real estate. So as you mentioned, I was employed full time for a high tech company at the time. I worked a lot of hours for that job, but. I partnered with a general contractor in 2010 and we scraped a couple single family homes in a trendy part of Denver. Mm. And at the time, you know, again, the market was really challenged. Uh, It looked so different than it does today in Denver, but we bought, we we bought the first one uh, in an area called the Highlands and this area was getting a lot of investment and we ended up, building a three-story duplex in place of that house and then we did a party well agreement so that gave us the ability to sell off each side of the duplex and uh, before that project was even done the second one down the street on the Berkeley side opened up and so we did that one too so that brings us to about 2011, when I started to reinvest some of those gains into rental properties. I knew I wanted to go the path of passive income because I knew I wanted to escape the rat race. Nice. And so I started buying uh, a lot of single family homes. Uh, most of them were condos and townhomes. Not only were those lower entry prices, But what I really like about condos and townhomes is the return post-tax is typically higher on a condo or a townhome than it could be on a single-family home. And that's because of the depreciation expense.
0: Yeah, wait, let me just cut you off just a second there. When you say you're buying all these properties... I'm sure plenty of people, including me, are wondering, how did you buy them? Were you getting traditional bank loans to get these because you had a W-2 to make yourself lendable? Did you get partners? What technique and route did you go to get financing
1: for all these? Yeah, that's a great question. So I went the traditional bank route. You're right. I had a W-2 income, which, which did help. But I will tell you this. I'm sure a lot of your listeners know that when you're starting to build a rental property portfolio, you typically run into some different restrictions that Fannie Mae has uh, for any lender that sells their loans on the secondary market. So I was really fortunate that when I did start down the path of building a portfolio, I teamed up with what is called a portfolio lender also known as a balance sheet lender. And what that simply means is that once they originated a loan with me, they chose to keep non-owner occupied rental property loans on their own balance sheet. They didn't-
0: so, so tell us like why that's a good thing if you would.
1: Yeah, definitely. So those lenders, they still have, you know, similar underwriting requirements, but what's great is they weren't subject to the Fannie Mae requirements. And some of the Fannie Mae requirements say that you can't have any more than four, sometimes 10 uh, loans. And if you're building a portfolio of properties, which we all strive to do, you're eventually going to tap out if you're not working with a portfolio lender. Now I also mentioned I was buying condos and townhomes and there's something called non-warrantable condos. Those are uh, the way Fannie Mae describes a non-warrantable condo is maybe that condo association has some outstanding litigation that they're a part of. Maybe more than 50% of the homes in that condo association are non-owner occupied. Those are just a couple of examples. I'll throw in another example too. Maybe the HOA doesn't have enough reserves. Those are three things that will make that condo non-warrantable. And for a typical Fannie Mae lender, they're going to say no to you, no matter how qualified you are for a non-warrantable condo, but a portfolio lender will say yes.
0: So does non-warrantable mean non-financeable? Because I haven't heard that term before.
1: It doesn't, yeah, with a a Fannie Mae, uh, you know, lender someone that originates a loan and then sells it on the secondary market, they're subject to the Fannie Mae requirements. Okay. They will typically not lend on non-warrantable condos.
0: Okay, yeah, I've not played so, in that market before, so that's news to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. So tell so, us more about then why that the um, return is better on condos than homes. You're saying because the depreciation is better?
1: Yeah. You know, I'll give you a general rule of thumb, and you can actually, Holly, you got a lot more experience with this the single family homes, so you can tell me if you agree or not. A typical real rule of thumb is that when you go to do your depreciation on a rental property, when you do your taxes, uh, you can usually say that 80% of your acquisition price is the actual building, the structure. Right. 20%, you can typically say that's land. Right. And it might vary by property, but that's a good rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. Well, you see with a condo or a townhome, there's less land associated with the acquisition price. Hmm, okay. When you calculate your depreciation, you can only depreciate the building. You can't buy right. the land. Right. So uh, when you have more, a larger portion of your purchase price, your acquisition price associated with the, the the building or the structure you can depreciate more so dollar for dollar using that kind of thinking and and, and rule you're typically going to get a higher uh, post-tax return dollar for dollar than you would on the single family home that's why i liked this, the, the the condos in the townhomes
0: very interesting yeah okay So let's keep going along your journey. Well, tell us more, if you would, about a couple of, um, if you remember any of the deals and the returns you were getting on them and why, what kept you pushed and moving? And were you using that 1% rule that we hear that people look for rentals? Are you familiar with that? Where you want to get 1% of the purchase price in monthly rental income?
1: You know, I have heard that before and, you know, looking back, I, you know, there, there was, there was times that I, I did observe that that was kind of a general rule, but more, my primary metric was always cash on cash return. Got it. I never really paid much attention to cap rates and, you know, the 1% rule and stuff like that. Not to say that those aren't great rules but my primary focus was cash on cash return. Now, again, I was buying at just the most opportune time in Colorado and the Denver market. I was walking away from any deal that did not have a 20% or greater cash on cash return in the first year.
0: And what year was that that you were buying these?
1: That was 2011 through 2014. And by the time I got closer to that 2014 mark, I was settling for deals that were maybe a little bit lower you know, than, than that. A lot of them turned out to do better than 20% because at the same time, the market was recovering. I was able to raise rents. I was able to get better than I expected rents and things like that. But I was literally walking away. If, if a property did not Pencil for me greater than twenty percent. I was walking away from it. I, I think more about the deals I walked away from now than uh, than 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 the deals I actually did. Because today, as the market has recovered, all of those all of those ones that I like eighteen nineteen percent that I walked away from would have still been stellar deals. Yeah. I guess that just kind of you know you know goes to show you that as an investor, you have to stick to your acquisition criteria. Yes. You have to know what you're looking for and stick to it. As long as you have a formula for success and it's working, stick to it. So
0: That's great. Yeah, you got to create rules that you're going to live by and, and play by and stick to them. Otherwise, you can be all over the board and definitely lose money. So that's some great advice to create some rules for yourself and live by them.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So um, so the, you had some good deals there. So what was the next
1: part of the path of your journey. Yeah. So my journey is a lot like playing the game cash flow. I know yeah. a lot of a lot of us have all we're all encouraged and inspired by that book Rich Dad Poor Dad. So mm-hmm. probably quite a few people out there that have played the game cash flow. And in that game you start by doing small deals, mm-hmm. and then you graduate to doing larger deals. And that is very much what my journey has looked like. So in late 2013, I bought my first smaller apartment deal. I bought a 12 unit apartment and I was planning on holding that property for 10 years. I had a Performa put together saying I was going to exit at this price in 10 years. And here's what my return and everything was going to be about a year and three months in someone came along completely unsolicited off the market and made an offer on that property that I just could not walk away from. It was almost the same amount that I said I would exit my property for another, at this point, it would have been another nine years down the road.
0: Wow. What an exciting moment in time. That's awesome.
1: It was. And so what I did is I went ahead and sold that property in 2015. And then I 1031'd that with the help of two other equity equity partners into a 64-unit apartment complex in Irving, Texas. So now I'm going from Colorado to Texas. And here's why I made that, that transition from one state to the other. At this point, Colorado has just exploded. Colorado is actually compared now to cities like like your um, area of the country, Holly, right there. In yeah,
0: California. Los Angeles. Yeah, our oh, is so high.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just taken off, and and now we're being compared to coastal cities like like your own, and that's great because I still own a lot of property in Colorado, uh, but. Texas still has some some good deals. And uh at this point too by 2015 that's when I jumped out of the rat race. I I finally had enough passive income built up that I was able to make that transition and 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 focus 100% on my investments. I've also been really fortunate because I have a cousin that has been doing multifamily for almost 30 years. And when I decided to make the transition, he welcomed me to come and sit in his office and see how the really big deals go down. Cool. That would be awesome. And it was just such a great opportunity because, you know, he, he doesn't touch anything less than about 100 to 150 units he's, he's doing transactions, 200, 300 units at a time. And it is just such a completely different animal doing the larger multifamily properties. So again, going from doing small deals to large deals, I was given this opportunity to job job shadow. So, uh, through about the first nine months of 2015, I was job shadowing with him. And then, uh, in September of last year, I put that 64-unit property under contract and I closed it in December. And I'll tell you, 1031 exchange, here's a great story for you. I closed that thing on day 180. Oh, my Literally gosh. By the skin of my teeth.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was,
1: it was that close. Well, so.
0: tell, tell our listeners that may not know why that day is important or relevant
1: Yeah. So whenever you do a a 1031 tax-deferred exchange, when you relinquish the property, the the property that you sold is called your relinquished property. From that closing date, you have 45 days to identify uh, replacement properties. And then you need to close on at least one of those replacement properties within 180 days. So you have another, that would be 135 days left to close the actual property. And
0: and what happens if you don't, like say you're ready to close on day 181.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's not,
0: it's not, there's no extensions for that. Like there are for filing tax returns. So -hmm. yeah. If you had any hiccups, it would have been a very sad day for you.
1: (laughs) Yes, it it really would have been. And there's, there's several things that happened that slowed the process down too, along the way. I won't bore you with that, but what I will say too is, one thing that I've learned in my journey is the importance of your team. Working with people that you you, you you trust and that have a reputation of coming through. Because looking back on that, making that 180 day deadline was all about the team. I mean, these people from on the lender side and the property management side, the insurance side, they all, they all made it happen, not because they had to, but because they could. And so having the right people on your team and in place, I just believe is so important.
0: Yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah. All right, so then you got to 64 units.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And... Do you, I assume you have a property manager down there. Are they on site? Are they not? Or what, what's that look like?
1: Yeah. So th- this property is now big enough to where um, I was able to make the transition to doing on site management. So yeah, I do have a property manager down there. They run all of the day to day. I play the role of the asset manager because someone still has to oversee the whole project oh. because that one is one that uh, we renovated. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so closed on it in December, and it took about six months to complete the majority of the renovation. Today, I came in under budget on enough things that I still have enough money to continue renovating units as the leases turn. Nice. Nice. Which- Yeah, and what's nice about a multifamily property is that you have a standard template for all of your renovated units. So as those units uh, turn, those leases turn, we go in, we apply the standard template. It takes about five to seven days to do. And uh, then we lease it back up at the full new market rate. And the other thing I really like about multifamily is that when we renovate a multifamily property, you're still getting rental income off of the property because you can, you can lease out, you know, 85 to 95% of the other units while you're renovating the property. You don't have to completely vacate the property in order to renovate it. So that's something I really like about multifamily.
0: Nice. Yeah. why don't you um, share, since this is your field of expertise, what are some ways that you can increase the value of a multi-unit project?
1: Yeah. So, uh, that's another thing too, that I really love about multifamily properties is something called forced depreciation. Uh, multifamily properties are valued uh, typically with more, uh, more emphasis on the cap rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, if a, if, if you buy a property or the a property, say a C-class multifamily property goes for say a 7% cap rate in uh, a particular area, then by increasing the net operating income of the property, it's, there's, there's more, it's pretty predictable what that property is going to be valued at. So when you acquire a multifamily property, your goal is simple. You want to increase the revenue and you want to decrease the expenses. Right. If you can do those two things, your net operating income goes up. And so does the value of your property. And so, uh, you know, there's several ways that you can, you know, increase your income. What I run into a lot is that uh, uh, prior owners, they might not be maximizing their utility bill back. Uh, mm. So, well, why don't you
0: explain what that is for someone brand new? What is a utility bill back?
1: Yeah, so uh, oftentimes a multifamily property, depending on its vintage and stuff like that, they're all. Um, master metered and so
0: which means uh, one bill for the whole complex right
1: yeah and typically that's common with water Uh, you'll sometimes see it with electric or gas and things like that but it's it's really common with water and then uh and you'll see it you'll see it with gas too on older vintage properties usually your electric is already so you don't have to worry about that but water is a huge expense for the problem mm. and if you're not billing back for water then you need to start because you're leaving a lot of uh a lot on the table okay and so uh what you can do and there's typically rules by you know my there might be rules in the city or the county or the state that says how much you can bill back um and and they'll set the rules for it but oftentimes i see that uh, property owners are not billing back the full amount that they can uh, to, the, to the residents. Now, kind of along the line too of, of water, and I know this is really important in California too, is water conservation. Mm -hmm. especially it's especially important with older properties where you have original toilets with the larger toilet tanks you know you have you know faucets that just gush water there's nothing controlling the amount of water that flows out of the faucet Uh, and you can significantly reduce your water expense by implementing a water conservation plan and that typically includes bringing an expert in Uh, that can do an assessment. They'll go in, they'll look at the toilets, they'll literally watch the toilets flush.
0: How funny. Uh, They can assess it by watching it, huh?
1: (laughs) Exactly. By watching it and measuring how much water those toilets are using for every single flush. Mm -hmm. And they'll convert, you can go in and they can either, uh, if you want to go the less expensive route of water conservation, they can just kind of tweak those existing toilets. They can kind of change the the amount of water that some of those toilets use and and, and still, you know, reduce the amount of water that they use. Or if you want to go all out, you can replace all the toilets in the complex.
0: And that sounds uh, expensive, or do they have different rebates and things to help along with that?
1: Yeah, you can sometimes get rebates at the city level or the county level. Uh, you know, I'd say that when you're exploring that still use, I think there's benefit in using a water conservation expert because I have seen run across where the, the toilets that the city will buy um, for you, the free toilets. Yeah. uh, They, 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 they're, they're not, they don't always flush the, um, the, the, the way they're specified, they're actually okay. more water um, sometimes than what they actually are spec. Really, wow. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not saying don't take the free toilets, just just you know make sure you you know that and 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 you know you know that they're actually performing to spec. That you know the toilets that they're using. Uh, they'll also come in and put in, um, water restrictors, you know, or aerators on all the faucets. So it converts your faucets to low flow so okay. they don't as much. Um, I implemented that on the, the, this water conservation plan on my 64 unit property. It's one of the first things I did. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I've been ever since then, uh, I've, my water bills have been about 40% less than the prior year's bills
0: holy moly that's a huge difference how many dollars did that convert to in your bottom line if you
1: it's know? yeah um bottom line it's about um a forty thousand dollar no excuse me it's like 38 or 39 thousand dollars difference
0: that is huge that's yeah. huge and what is a water conservation specialist charge for their services
1: that service um so i replaced every single toilet Okay. I paid about twenty seven thousand dollars, I think it was, to do that.
0: To I will out say, the toilets.
1: For the toilets, they they went in, they fixed all the leaks. Um, anywhere they found leaks, that's the other nice thing is they go through every single unit and they find leaks and they have you know, drippy faucets, they fix all that at the same time. Nice they put the aerators on, they change out the shower heads, you know, so the shower heads don't gush as much water too. And they do all of that. Now, obviously, all of the all of the units in my sixty-four unit are just single uh, bathroom units. So that's something to keep in mind. the The number of toilets that they actually replace could actually, you know, change the price considerably. You know, a, a sixty-four unit for me. That that's 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 cheaper than, a, say, a sixty-four unit that has some two-bathroom units and things like that in it. Right? Got it. Okay. So, uh, it's more priced by toilet as opposed to the number of the units. Got it. So, yeah, but it's, it's 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 it gives you a great return, and what I love about it too is that you turn around and pass that savings on to your residents too, because you're billing if you're billing back for water like you should be then that, that that also translates to savings for them as well. And in this particular case, uh, the prior owner was only billing back about 65% of water. Wow. They, they could have been billing back up to 95%. And the yeah. reason that they weren't billing back the 95% is because if they would have charged any more, they would have been very uncompetitive in the market. So by implementing water conservation, I was able to start billing back for the full 95% of my expense for water. But at the same time, my residents are saving about $10 per month. Wow, so it's
0: win, win, win for everybody, every angle, I love it.
1: It is, it is. Wow.
0: Well, clearly, you're quite the expert at all things multifamily here now. It's really fascinating. We're getting it near towards the end of our podcast, but why don't you share some advice for somebody who is interested in learning more about multifamily or if they've been doing single family and they want to jump into that, where do they start to to learn about that and get educated?
1: Yeah, you know, one of the best things you can do is attach yourself to uh, a sponsor or, or a mentor. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I had the benefit of having a family member that had been doing multifamily for 30 years and I was able to job shadow him. I was able to sit back and watch how these really big deals go down. But uh, now my journey was one of, again, doing smaller deals and gradually working up to doing, larger deals. Mm-hmm. If someone wants to take a similar path to me, they can, but it's going to take them a while. You know, you're, you're you know no lender is just going to automatically say, "Oh, you've owned a couple single family properties, now you can go buy an apartment complex, right? Uh, they they rent the the experience becomes a lot more important when they go when you go through the underwriting process on a larger property. So it's really important uh, to to attach yourself to someone that has experience in multifamily and that's a sponsor, and that might even just be the guy down the street from you. You know that that, that owns the large apartment complex down the street. You could call that person up, ask, start asking them questions. You know, and, and I'll tell you too. Especially in this environment, uh, the deal flow is a lot uh, is a lot less than what it was a few years ago. Right? Mm, yeah. So that guy down the street is probably would probably love to acquire properties. You know, if you were to go out and source a deal and find a deal for them and then go to that person, to that sponsor and say, hey, are you interested in doing this deal together? I can learn from the process of going through this process with you. Uh, This is also a great way for people that maybe don't have a lot of capital, right? So maybe you lack the experience and or the capital to do a larger multifamily deal. Uh, If you were able to find the deal or source the deal and bring it to a sponsor, then that's a way for you to participate in the deal, get the experience, and and, and also, you know, that the sponsor can sometimes bring can bring the majority of the capital too. He just needs the he or she just needs the deal, you know.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think that's really important that you added that when you're talking about calling someone up who's already successful and start talking to them, it's really important, in my opinion, that you bring value to the table. And you may not be experienced, but maybe you ask them, is there anything I could do to help you in your business? Are you interested in more properties? Can I source properties for you? What's something that I could do to help you possibly in exchange for me shadowing you? So that's Really important. Get don't be just a taker, offer to give.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and maybe it's go take their car to the car wash and get their dry cleaning picked up. Maybe that's, you know, their problem of the week that you can solve. You never know.
1: So, Absolutely. When yeah, you're different.
0: reaching out, offer, offer, offer. All right. Well, for people that want to learn more about you and what you offer, um, why don't you share? Oh, and then you can tell our listeners about the free gifts that you're offering and, and tell them what that is and where they can find it.
1: Sure. Yeah. If you'd like to learn more about what I do or even read my blog, uh, you can go to luxmana.com. Luxmana is spelled L-U-X-M-A-N-A.com. And then also, for anyone that's interested in multifamily, or maybe you already invest in multifamily, and you're looking to to learn about some of those less obvious ways to boost your net operating income, I would, as a way of saying thank you for listening, like to offer your listeners a free guide that I wrote. It's called The 10 Not-So-Obvious Ways to Boost Your Multifamily Property, NOI. And you can get that by going to luxmana.com forward slash holly.
0: Awesome. That is so wonderful. So listeners, get out there, get some more education and learn from Mark. He's obviously an experienced, brilliant pro at this. Thank you. Thank you for all your time today, Mark, and being such an open book and sharing so much and inspiring others. Help them to believe if they're in a job, they can escape the rat race too. And just thanks for all you shared today.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Holly. It was a pleasure.
0: All right. Thanks.
1: If you found value in today's episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. You can find our show notes at our website, houseflipmasters.com on the podcast page. Also, to get our top tips for finding deals without spending lots of money, go to houseflipmasters.com for your free download today.